Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Good morning, church. Good morning. It is good to have Pastor Caleb back leading worship, isn't it? Yes. Grateful. Um, mentioned this in first service, but when he's gone, there's a part of us that's missing. So I'm grateful that you're back, buddy. Um, he was also mentioned in Big Chill. It's kind of weird. This is like the first time in nine years that I haven't been at Big Chill. So that's exciting. Um, my name is Chuck. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, get to follow Jesus with you. Um, be a part of leading other people to follow Christ with you. Um, I will tell you this right now. This microphone has been falling all over my face this morning, so I'm going to be doing this constantly as long as you guys can deal with it. I don't know if I can. <laughs> this might drive me nuts. Um, do you know that God is up to something here? I'm serious. Do you know? Do you know that God is up to something here? He is, uh, he is working. Um, he, is, he is moving some things around. His spirit is at work, and it's been really exciting and a little bit terrifying as we're trying to keep up and uh, anticipate maybe a little bit of what God is wanting to do here uh, this year. I was reminded, I read in Second Chronicles, I think this will be up on, on screen, yeah, Second Chronicles. This is God speaking to Solomon after they dedicated the temple. And this is what he says. He says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, he was speaking to Solomon about the Israelite people. Um, but I believe this principle is true for us today as well. And we are seeing this happen. There is a growing number of people here in Summit Church who are humbling themselves. And they are praying and they are seeking God's face, and they are turning from their sin, and God is forgiving them, and He is healing our, our land. He is doing some things here in our, in our church. Listen, people are practicing spiritual disciplines. Uh, men and women are turning away from pornography. Young men are memorizing Scripture together. People are desiring to be baptized. Our young adults are fortifying their faith. Women are encouraging one another. Men are studying Scripture together. Christ's body is walking out its faith, and He is on the move. He is on the move. I don't know if you can sense that, but He is on the move. I want to encourage you to keep digging in. He has more for us. He is putting pieces in place. His Spirit is at work. He is preparing us for something, and I am excited about what that is. I'm excited about what that is. So, Spirit of God, continue to move us in our obedience. We'll follow your lead. Um, we want more of you, Jesus. Help us, O oh God. Help us, O oh God. Uh, January 1st, we began our, our Walk It Out series, um, and we established the point of that message, the point of that series was that since receiving such a great salvation, we should then be compelled to live out that which we have received. So understanding that faith is more than just believing in God, it is believing God. There's a difference. And if we are believing God, things He has said about who He is, what He has done, what He will do, then we, if we're believing those things, then we go to work then 
believing him, demonstrating that belief by living it out, working to, to apprehend Christ as Christ has apprehended us. A few weeks ago, Tom Harmon, in his message, he gave that almost that physical illustration that as I've had conversations with many of you over the last couple weeks, that really stood out to you, and that, that kind of gripped you, that, that, that picture of that Christ has apprehended us, and now in our discipline, we turn around and we want to apprehend Christ. If we're believing God, we walk out our faith, we live it out. As Christ has first apprehended us, we turn and attempt to apprehend Christ. So we know those good works, those disciplines, they don't earn us salvation, yet they become the means in which we meet with God, that His grace fills us. And those things that I celebrated earlier, those are the things that you are doing you are doing these things that you are walking out your faith and God is at work in the midst of it. As a church, we are seeking to know God more intimately in the next year. That is our, that is our collective goal. That is our vision, that we would become more intimate with the Lord, that we would see authentic demonstrations of His Spirit. And that comes when we surrender ourselves to Him more fully. That is a process, but He is at work. Continue to do those things. Over the past several weeks, our staff has been uh, hard at work putting together a walk it out guide. Now, we told you that this is something that we wanted to put into your hands, that this was coming. We had decided to have something tangible, um, a tool that as we approach what's coming the next few months with our women's conference at the beginning of March, Grow 23 at the end of March, and then Good Friday and Easter, that we would have something to rally around together, putting the last series, Walk It Out, into practice. So I'm excited that this seven-week devotional is, it's ready. So these are available today. You may have seen them on the uh, tables out there in the gathering area. Um, the official start date to this is going to be next Sunday on the 19th, but you can still grab that today, maybe in preparation for that. So I want to help orient you to this a little bit. Um, each week, this is a seven weeks, again, leading up to Easter, each week um, there will be one passage of Scripture that we encourage you to read every day. So one week we'll have kind of a two-page spread out, just like that. This is one week. And there'll be one uh, passage of Scripture that we'll have you read every day or, or read several times that week as you can make that happen. Um, each week on top of that reading, there will be one memory verse that we're encouraging you to memorize together as a church that we'll be memorizing together. So along with reading one passage several times, uh, the same thing over and over, and memorizing one verse during the week, we're also going to encourage you to pick one meal or one day uh, to fast. And there are, there are ideas in the back of this booklet, a resource uh, bank, if you will. We'll have ideas on what a fast could look like. Um, and then we also encourage you to pray, to add in some prayer um, times. Um, that would be something we encourage you to do daily, um, even for just a few minutes. And again, both the fasting and the praying piece there are resources in the back to help you kind of wrap your heads around some creative ideas to do some of those things. So, one passage of Scripture, read the same thing all week, one Scripture to memorize together as a church, ideas to fast, and then ideas to pray. Um, and that may seem like a lot, and it is a commitment. It's called discipline for a reason. Um, but let me tell you this, that the point isn't to get a gold star. The point is to meet with God. And it takes practice. It takes discipline. And we are hoping, not hoping, we are believing faith. We are believing God when he says that if we seek him, he will meet with us. He will reveal himself to us. 
And so as a church, we want to do this together. This is just a tool. The Spirit is who produces the fruit. But this is a way for us to put ourselves in a position where we are surrendering Himself. We're surrendering ourselves to Him uh, every day. Uh, you'll see an opening note from Pastor Dan in this booklet. Um, and then next to the table of contents, um, you'll see uh, the page right there to the left is actually uh, how to use this booklet. Essentially just walking through what I just explained. So there, this is something we're very excited about. Um, a new devotional plan always brings about some freshness. Uh, but knowing your church family is walking through this all at the same time, um, pursuing God together, there's some encouragement there. Um, I'm excited to, um, to hear some of the stories and, and witness some of the fruit that comes from this. Uh, one of the ways that we want to help you take ownership of uh, this is a bookmark. So each of these booklets comes with a bookmark. It's fancy. And uh, on the bottom, it says, I commit to pray for. So what uh, we encourage you to do is when you go out and get your booklet, you get your bookmark, you write your name at the bottom, and then you find somebody to trade with. There's some ownership here. You find someone to trade with, and, uh, and then you commit to praying for that person. So every time that you open your booklet, you see the bookmark, it has their name on it, you pray for them, you know that they're praying for you as we are walking out our faith uh, together. So again, after service, you can grab your booklet, your bookmark at the table's um, and let's just see what God does. Let's just see what God does. Well, as we begin our message today, the sermon today, see, we're, we're going to get to it, I promise. Um, I want to call your attention back to Ephesians chapter 3, uh, Paul's prayer there in verses 16 through 19. This is where we started the year. This is my prayer. This is Paul's prayer that he, he, that he wrote to the Ephesians, but this has become my prayer for our church uh, this year, for you this year. This is my prayer for you. Um, I want to read that as we start today. Ephesians three sixteen through 19. That out of his glorious riches, he, God, may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord, hear our prayer. Hear our prayer. How many of you uh, have a person in your family that's always difficult to buy something for Christmas? You know, the gift, that person is like, what do I get for them? Nobody here? Okay, all right. Um, I see every family has one there's somebody that's always difficult to buy Christmas gifts for. Um, for our family, this is my mom, okay? This is my mom. Uh, I don't know exactly why, but probably because no gift really kind of feels worthy of who she is. Um, yes, I'm a mama's boy, if you couldn't tell. Uh, it feels, it always feels like my gift kind of falls short, uh, which of course that thought would like horrify her, which is exactly probably the reason that it's true, that, that my gift would fall short of who she is. Regardless, it's hard, while it's hard to get a gift uh, for my mother, she is often the one, typically, um, who gives phenomenal gifts. Um, and this year was no, uh, was no different. Um, so this, this won't seem like much to you. It's just a small, worn-out uh, binder, uh, ring binder. It's worn out. It's got yellowed paper on the inside, mismatching paper. The paper isn't even always the same. Um, but uh, this, was my, this was my grandfather's. And he passed away several years ago. Uh, but this is one of the possessions that my mom kept from their house. Um, she kept a lot of things. 
Um, but some, some trinkets and, and possessions that he had, some pictures, trinkets, um, and every once in a while she kind of goes through that box as she remembers her, her dad, um, and she often likes to gift things to me over the years um, that remind uh, her of him and me. Uh, and this was one of those things that she um, gave to me this year at, at, at Christmas. Now, my grandpa was a preacher. He was a preacher in the missionary church and beyond. However, I never, I never got to really hear him preach, or not, not, not much that I remember, for he was far retired by the time I would have been old enough to really remember a lot of those things. Um, but it wasn't until recently that my mom discovered that on the last few pages of this book, he had scrawled out a couple of sermon outlines. <laughs> with some thoughtful notes and scriptures. So our message today is one that um, I never got to hear him preach, but I believe it's the one that God wants us to hear today. So as we come into the week um, that contains Valentine's Day, you're welcome for that reminder, um, may we consider the love which all other loves pale in comparison to. May we consider the love from which all compassion and tenderness is derived, that perfect, holy, and majestic love, that love that is so pure that its, that its fierceness cannot be contained in the face of evil, that unfathomable love that desires to, to wash sinners like me clean and, and hold us in our darkest hour. God himself, God himself. Again, we kicked off our last series in Ephesians 3. It's what I read earlier. Looking at, we looked at the first, verse of, uh, first half of verse 17. Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That was our launching point for James chapter 2. Our faith is put into action. Today, I want to continue with verse 17 through 19 as we consider this great love of God. The great love of God. So I want to look at the overview of these verses again, noticing the word love that appears in all three verses. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The first thing that we see here is Paul's indication that we have been rooted and established in love. So he's calling to attention the fact that this has already happened. What he's talking about has already happened. We are rooted and established. This is the place that we are starting from. That picture of roots, the base layer, the strength of a foundation. You have been planted. You have been established in love, regardless of whether you have it together yet. Hint, you don't. Regardless of that, you have been planted. What he's referring to is what we focused on in the first part of verse 17. Christ is dwelling in our hearts now through faith. So you are rooted and established in love, meaning as believers, at some point we have heard the gospel, the Spirit has moved us to believe it, rather Him, we believed Him, and through the miracle of God opening our eyes and us responding with a weak and feeble yes, we are now saved and fastened securely within Christ. Okay? We are rooted and established. 1 John 4.16 says, and so we know and rely on the love of God, on the love God has for us. God is love. God is love. It is who He is. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Now, this is the place that we begin. 
God is love. We are now found in love. God himself is where we are. (laughs) There is no safer place. Come hell or high water, my anchor remains in Christ. That has been established, Paul says. And moving into verse 18, having power then through the Holy Spirit, together with God's holy people, to grasp to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He's referencing the nature of God's love now, the parameters, if you will, the characteristics that epitomize the love of God, the love of Christ. To grasp, not a difficult word to understand, but to grasp, meaning to to make a motion of seizing, that, that apprehending move, seeking to eagerly understand and perceive the nature of God, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep. And so planted in God's love, We aim to grasp that love that has surrounded us, that which we are established in. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying here? We have been been planted. We have been established. We are in God's love. We are in God. And now, within that love that is our standing, we are now to then grasp at that love that we are in. Okay? I picture, this is the image that comes to my mind. If you think it's funny, fine. I picture like a single flower that has been freshly planted in topsoil, in this life-giving nutrients. It is its everything, and it's just doing everything it can to grasp the dirt that it is planted in. That's what I see. It's already there. It's secure, but oh, I've got, I've got to get a hold of this to grasp the love of Christ. Does that describe your pursuit of God? In verse 19, he emphasizes it in a slightly different experiential way. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. Think about that for a second. I love this part of the passage, this paradoxical prayer. Because Paul is realizing, as he's basically saying, to know what you can't know. I want you to know this love that surpasses knowing. What appears to be happening here is Paul is, is straining against the faculties of his humanity, yet under the inspiration of the Spirit, using human language to articulate something that is impossible to articulate. For comprehending the great love of God, rather the love that is God, is too great to comprehend, for it surpasses knowledge. It elevates beyond human intellectual understanding. Yet, big yet, you shall know it if you have Christ dwelling in you. I don't know if you quite understood or got that. The love of God is so great that it goes beyond what we can comprehend. Yet we can know it if we are united with Christ. Paul finishes his intercession with with the bold request that as a result of all of this, his prayer, he finishes this in verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. For the fulfillment and the purpose God intends for man out of his love is that the maturity that, it, that maturity that is measured by the stature of Christ. I'm telling you what, church, this passage keeps giving me more every time I read it. This morning, at least, it gives us a great outline to consider the love of God, the nature of God's love, the expression of God's love, and the purpose of God's love. So I want to begin now with the nature of God's love. Consider for a moment that phrasing. 
how wide and long and high and deep. So the apostle is using this rhetorical hyperbole here to convey that the magnitude of God's love is simply that, too magnificent and altogether immeasurable according to human standards. So what we can't do is measure God's love, but what we can do is attempt to illuminate it from the scriptures. And even such will fall short, for it's akin to lighting a candle to illuminate the sea in the middle of the night. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. What is the nature of God's love? It is self-giving and self-sacrificing. Self-giving and self-sacrificing. This is too simplistic, yes? These words even that we use. This idea of sacrifice isn't foreign to us. We understand what this means to give up something important or valued for a different consideration, whether that consideration be about us or someone else or some other thing. But this love of God is more than a self-sacrificing love. It is a self-giving love. So the valued thing is God himself. (laughs) The valued thing is holy God himself, creator and sustainer of the universe. The thing being considered in return is you, O sinful one, O enemy of God, your broken life for his perfect existence. We don't have a context for that type of love. Surely we can imagine throwing ourselves in harm's way for a brother or a sister or a spouse or a child, but, our, but for our greatest enemy who's spitting vile and hatred and wanting nothing to do with us? This is the love of God. Those words laid down in that verse, that Christ laid down, that phrasing to, to lay means to set or put into a new position to bring about a new arrangement. I love that wording. To bring about a new arrangement. The nature of God's self-sacrificing love is exactly that. He made the first move, we did not, giving of himself, and he brought about a new arrangement. Surely this surpasses my knowledge. The nature of God's love is self-sacrificing. It is self-giving. And it is also abounding in mercy and grace. Abounding in mercy and grace. Again, I shared this with the first service. I, I feel inadequate, and my, my teaching today feels inadequate to fully convey to you how much, how God feels about you. To describe the nature of God's love, to talk about the expression of God's love, and the purpose of His love. I'm a mere man. <laughs> So even these words that we use, I tried to like sneak two in for each of these things. This is a short list. It's much longer than this. But this is all that I have for you this morning. Self-giving and self-sacrificing. His love is abounding in mercy and abounding in grace. Exodus 34, 6 says that he, the Lord, passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness. So this verse happens shortly after God rescues the Israelites. So God has, has brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. He has rescued them from slavery. They, they were suffering at the hands of, of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And they're at the base of Mount Sinai after being rescued out of their slavery, after the, after the Red Sea has swallowed up the Egyptians And they have been protected by God himself in his presence in a pillar of fire and a cloud. 
And they're at the base of Mount Sinai, and they have already forgotten their rescue. And so they throw themselves into immorality because they're not patient. That's really why it came down to, oh, this is describing myself. I'm impatient. So they begin to, to worship idols. They lose their minds. Moses has gone up to meet with God alone on Mount Sinai, and the people lose their minds. They begin worshiping idols and throwing themselves into immorality, making for themselves a golden calf to worship. And so I love this part in the story where Moses comes back down from the mountain to meet with the people, and he does that because God's like, you should go down and check out what's happening right now. It's ungood. God is not thrilled. He is not happy. And Moses goes down with the Ten Commandments, hot off the press, and he sees the sinful chaos and the rampant immorality, and, and in his rage burns up the golden calf. He destroys those who abandon the Lord. But in his anger, he also throws down the tablets that God has just provided him with, and he breaks them in the process. Moses has now royally screwed up, destroying the first tablets that God inscripted with the Ten Commandments. So God calls him back up to Mount Sinai, where he will again write by his own hand the law of God. And it's here where the Lord passes by Moses, and he says this about himself. In the midst of everything we just talked about, he says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He says this about himself in speaking with Moses. So in the middle of his people, in the middle of God's people, abandoning their protector immediately after their rescue, Moses losing his self-control, God speaks this truth, I am compassionate and gracious, I am slow to anger, I am abounding in love, I am abounding in faithfulness. Church, I will share with you that one of the things I have been learning lately is that for most of my life, I have viewed God as almost being constrained by his characteristics, that, that he has to love me out of some holy sense of compulsion because the Bible says so, and he's pressured by Jesus to take it easy now that I'm attempting to follow him. It's too easy for me to think that God is annoyed with me. I think about this as being, being a father. God is our perfect heavenly father. The difference between him being a father and me being a father is he is perfect and I am not. And so even in my love for my children, it's coming from a place of love, but I'm often annoyed at their breaking of the law. And so out of my love, I discipline them, but I'm also annoyed because I'm imperfect. On the contrary, God is love. He is a perfect heavenly Father. Church, you need to understand that it is His very being the center of who he is, exuding such magnificent longing for your redemption and your restoration that he chases after you, throwing himself on the cross, giving up his very self to bring about your salvation, that you might be one with him. This is the love of God. God doesn't love me out of, out of compulsion. He loves me because that is who he is. He brings about our sanctification so that we might be like Him. This was God's plan from the beginning, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit getting together, planning that great scandal of grace, your rescue at His great cost because He loves you. 
don't misunderstand me here. Your sin is worthy of the wrath of God. For holiness and sinfulness are mutually exclusive, but that is not to say that your sin repels God. Rather, when we sin, the very heart of Christ is drawn out to us. For where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's, that's Scripture. I didn't say that. Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. It is in our brokenness that God lovingly looks at us and desires to call us to himself. Not so that he can get us to a place where he can more easily love us. <laughs> yes, he sanctifies us and makes us holy and makes us more like his son Jesus, but, but God is love and he, he, he is drawn out to us in our brokenness. The nature of God's love is self-sacrificing. It is abounding in mercy and grace, and it is everlasting and unfailing. Everlasting and unfailing. Jeremiah 31.3, this is the Israelites speaking back to the prophet Jeremiah. The Lord appeared to us in the past, they said. I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Now, as we looked at a prime example just a few moments ago where the Israelite people, they were always on a roller coaster of uh, when it came to their allegiance um, uh, to, to, to God of their father Abraham. They would follow him and he would protect them and bless them and, uh, and give them victory and be close with them. And then they would turn their back and begin to worship idols and be swept and wooed away by other nations. Yet in the midst of all of that, he was everlasting and he was unfailing. Despite their wanderings, God never changes. He is the same today as he was yesterday and will be tomorrow. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have consequence for sin and wandering because that is a part of God's love. You need to understand that. But despite their wanderings, God never changed. I would draw your attention to that exact word in that verse, drawn. I have drawn you, he says. That word draw means to cause an object to make linear or vertical movement, and it implies that there is no help from the inert object, and so needing considerable force. That's my favorite part of that. And so needing considerable force. Understand that it is the love of God that first broke into your dead heart, pulling you toward Him, giving you the capacity to love back. What a great love. In other words, when you are a finite being, who is prone to failure, you need an infinite God who never fails. When you're a finite being who is prone to failure, you need an infinite God who never fails. Romans 2.4 reminds us that it is indeed God's kindness that leads us to repentance. His kindness. The nature of God's everlasting love is an unfailing kindness is so magnificent that it beckons even the hardest of hearts and the most stubborn of wills. How wide and how long and how high and how deep is Christ's love? Wide enough to cover eternity past to eternity future. Long enough to reach the ends of the earth and back. High enough to raise his children to heaven and deep enough to reach the lowest of sinners and the vilest of hearts like mine. Lord, give us the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
As we shift now to considering the expression of God's love, second piece of our outline here, I wrestled with changing that word uh, from expression to experience. I wavered on which word would be best. Is it the experience of God's love or is it the expression of God's love? Because the expression of God's love ultimately becomes our experience. You may be sitting there thinking, what an unnecessary argument to have with yourself, Chuck. Uh, And perhaps you are right, but I want you to weigh with me the significance of the overlapping thoughts that are at play here. I want you to remember now Paul's wording after the exhortation to grasp or to consider the nature of God's love. His prayer is that we would know that love that surpasses knowledge. Again, that beautiful paradox we talked about of knowing what can't be known. Yet, in His goodness and grace, while we are unable to intellectually comprehend the magnitude of God's love, He expresses it to us in such a way that we might come to know it through experience. In as simple terms as I can communicate, the expression of God's love is Jesus Christ, and our experience of God's love is Jesus Christ. It's there on the screen. You can read it, but I'm going to read it again. The expression of God's love is Jesus Christ, and our experience of God's love is Jesus Christ. It's not as if the nature of God's love is something that he directs toward us from different angles or from a distance or by moving us into some pocket or position of affection, similar to how we may receive love from those closest to us. Rather, it is through our very unity with Christ that, are we, that we are intimately aware of God's loving presence within our love-thirsty souls. Remember that we are rooted and we are established in love. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is ultimately through our union with Christ that we experience God's love. Now, I had a brief conversation with a friend after first service, Elizabeth Mezik. We were talking through this idea of expression versus experience. And surely we experience the love that God has through our unity in Christ. But there are times when we don't necessarily feel that way. So God has expressed his love to us in Christ, but we don't always, our our feelings don't always match up with that. If you don't think that's biblical, read through the Psalms. And so one of the things that we need to do, which is, again, why I wavered back and forth with expression and experience, is that we need to understand and remember the expression of God's love knowing that that is our experience, but, but when we don't feel like we're experiencing it, we can remember what the expression was. Are you tracking with me? I want to read to you Psalm 77. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out my untiring hands, and my souls refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused, and my spirit inquired, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? 
You don't think the psalmist had doubts? Wrestled with his emotions? Verse 10, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. Verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all of your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. I'm going to keep going. The waters saw you, O God. The water saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning, your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea and your, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. Did you see the tale of the two sides of that psalm? Although we experience... The love that God has for us, God Himself in Christ, there are times where we may, not, we may not feel that our experience is lining up with what we believe. And we need to take a note from the psalmist and remember the deeds of the Lord. If nothing else, if nothing else, then to dwell on the cross and to consider that great salvation that was won for us by Jesus Christ. So, keeping that balancing act in mind, the expression of God's love and the experience of God's love being two sides of the same coin, here's some scriptural truth to flesh that out. Okay? Through Jesus Christ, we experience forgiveness from sin. We experience forgiveness from sin. 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I love this verse as it portrays perfectly the mysterious God whose perfect love and justice work together to satisfy His necessary wrath against evil in order that He might fully love those whom He created. Let me say this. A perfect God who doesn't demand death for evil is no God at all. And regardless of what progressive Christianity attempts to reinterpret from Scripture, you were bought with the blood of Jesus. Christ on the cross wasn't just the ultimate and unthinkable example of love. It was the payment made to a holy God who in His righteousness and holiness could not and would not let sin and evil walk. So if we are found in Christ, then we have been justified. Our sins have been forgiven, atoned for on the cross, past, present, and future. Hallelujah is correct. Not only do we have forgiveness of sin expressed to us in Christ and our experience of it, but through Jesus Christ we experience the new life of righteousness. A new life of righteousness. Listen, I'm not telling you anything you shouldn't already know. This, this isn't new information, but it is, good to be, it is good to remind ourselves of the love of God, how we understand it, His nature, how He expresses that to us. 
So we have this new life of righteousness. So what has been accomplished now through the resurrection of Jesus is power over death and and brokenness. That is now procured for us a newness of life, a righteousness identity before the Lord, now to power to live a holy life. Okay, so not just forgiveness for past sin, we have been justified. Now, moving forward, we have been given a righteousness of new life. And we've been given power to live out our new life. Romans 5.17 says it this way, For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man in his sin, how much more will those who receive, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life, through the one man, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this way, For the old has gone, the new has come. We are to reign in life. Pressing into this one a bit further, Romans says this, We are reigning in life now through the one man, Jesus Christ. Not just forgiven, but now reigning in life. This idea is that in our unity with Christ, His Spirit is now at work in us, growing us in grace, honing us in on holiness, and producing spiritual fruit in our lives. This is what is gifted to us out of God's love through Jesus Christ. All of that is a direct result of the love of God. Christ Himself now spilling out of those who live in Him and Him in them. So the love of God expressed to us in Christ affords us forgiveness from sin. It affords us a new life of righteousness. And then finally, a heavenly inheritance. A heavenly inheritance. 1 Peter 1, 3-4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Yes, all of this, while an expression of God's love, is also our experience of God's love inside our unity with Christ. For, Romans 8, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. The expression of God's love is the person of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Our experience of God's love is the person of Jesus Christ in our forgiveness of sin, new life of righteousness, and our inheritance in heaven. Now, as we attempt to land this plane... And take this microphone off. As we, as we land this plane, Paul concludes his prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 with a that you statement. A that you statement. This is a result or a culmination of the prior things just petitioned for. Paul prays that these things about faith, he prays these things about faith and, and love, and he finishes with that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. that you may be filled to, all, to the measure of all the fullness of God. That one sentence would take us years to fully fathom. And I'll also say that that, isn't that that ending line there, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God, that isn't simply the end result of Paul's imperative to know the love of God. Again, this is the end of his, his whole prayer here, but the principle still remains as we make ourselves available to Him, as we surrender to the Lord, resting in His gospel, being established and rooted in His love, God's purposes on earth are accomplished. 
What is the purpose of God's love? That we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Three things, and I'll go through them quickly here. That the world might be saved. Rooted and established in love. Grasping at the height and the depth and the width and the length of Christ's love. Knowing what we can't know. Why? So that the world might be saved. John 3.17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. The purpose of God's love is that the world might be saved. The purpose of God's love is that we would love one another. That we would love one another. 1 John 4.12, If we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. purpose of God's love, the world might be saved, that we would love one another. And thirdly, that we would become more like Christ. We would become more like Christ. Again, Ephesians 3.19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. If you take those in reverse order, being rooted and established in love, we would become more like Christ. Go back up one. Within that, we would then love one another because we are becoming more like Christ. And then in our love of one another, the world might be saved. The purpose of God's love. I'm going to invite the worship team to help us close out our time today. As I was writing this, Earlier this week, and as I was teaching through this in first service, I felt like I haven't given you enough. How does one stand up here and try to convey to you the love that is God Himself? And I know I can't, so I, I need to rest in that. But as I think about being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, there's two ways that I really kind of think through this. There's that very real aspect playing itself out in my maturity in Christ. You saw at the end of that verse. If I'm experiencing love itself within me, the person of love, if I'm experiencing that, if I am in Christ, if I am in love and standing and planted and rooted and established in God and His Spirit is at work, that begins to change things in my life. And I become filled with all the fullness of God. That is Christ in me. That's one aspect I think about. But I also think about this in other moments where the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit and overwhelms me with an experience of His love. that in a moment I might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There have been moments in my life where I have known the unknowable. Moments of of spirit-filled wonder in worship or in a car where I am brought to tears, completely caught off guard as I am overwhelmed by my Savior's love. Have you had a moment like that before? I tell you, 
I cannot manufacture that level of knowing by my own intellectual effort. It comes only as a gift from God. It comes as a gift. But I do believe that this is the heart of Paul's prayer, that we would see that gift in increasing measure as we continually surrender ourselves to him through faith. I believe that. I really do. Again, this is from the Lord. It is a gift from God. But Pastor Dan, myself, Pastor Katie, Pastor Caleb, Pastor Bradley, our staff, this is what we want this year. We desperately want to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We want you to come with us. We want to have moments in increasing measure where we are seeing authentic demonstrations of the power of God's Spirit. Where we are overwhelmed in heart and mind and soul and in body of the love that God has for us. Again, not on our own accord, not on our own effort, but as a gift from the Spirit as we make ourselves available to Him and surrender. I'm going to pray, and then our team is going to lead us in the song, Man of Sorrows. We are going to remember the deeds of the Lord. We are going to remember and recall and recite that great love that God has for us. And then our response, our only response, is worship, is praise, pouring yourself out. Oh, may we know the love of God this year. Let's pray. God, out of your glorious riches, would you strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner beings. May Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. May we be rooted and established in your love. God, give us power together with all the Lord's holy people, the people in this room, Summit Church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Give us power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love, that love of Christ. God, that we may know that love that surpasses knowledge. God, we would ask you to fill us to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. We pray this in his name. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.